she came with me to Budapest. Uh, I was like, Dr. Samani is my first time traveling internationally. I have no idea what I'm doing. Uh, my family has never traveled internationally before. Mm -hmm. So would you be willing to come? And she literally got a plane ticket and came and met me in wow. Budapest. Yep. That's awesome. Good on yeah. her. Like, yeah, you know, just <laughs> dropping everything to go to Budapest with you. Yep. Yep. You know, it, I, I, I do a lot of firsts in my family. Like, mm -hmm. I'm the first engineer in my family as well, you know. So um, I was excited to be able to relate that experience back to them because I know it would inspire them to do great things themselves. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, you know, the idea of going through customs, like leaving <laughs> the country, yeah. it was uh, <laughs> such a big thing in my mind. It probably was a big thing in my, my mo mom's mind as well. Like, you know, are you going to be safe? And I think having Dr. Samani with me just kind of aided that idea that I was going to have someone to help me along the way. Hello, hello! Welcome to Young, Gifted, and Abroad, perspectives on setting abroad from past and present students of color. My name is Danielle, and I'm so excited to be able to talk to you today because today I have my friend Camille as the guest, much like Michelle from last episode, episode 47, I made Camille's acquaintance via a certain Facebook group, and... <laughs> I am so fascinated by Camille because she is an engineer, she has worked in the tech industry in Silicon Valley over the past couple of years, and she is a public speaker. Like She gets booked for speaking engagements and does a host of other things, and she does all of this while still being a college student. Uh, this is Camille's last year. She is a senior finishing up her degree in mechanical engineering and amidst going back and forth between Idaho, which is where she's from and where her university is located, to uh, California, where obviously Silicon Valley is and a lot of the tech industry is concentrated. Um, amidst all that, her work has taken her all around the country and as of this year, also internationally as well. In March of this year, Camille had the opportunity to go to Budapest, Hungary, where she spoke at a conference about artificial intelligence and about the bias that's inherent in, in artificial intelligence because the technology is created by people who have their own biases and blind spots. And, um, and she also shared her ideas on how to correct issues like that. So we spent a good amount of time talking about AI. Uh, it might seem, well for me at least, <laughs> from the outset it seems way over my head, but she explained a good amount of concepts and her ideas on them in a very accessible way. So shout out to her. And uh, of course we also talked about Camille's time in Budapest. Uh, this was the first time that Camille had gone outside of the country and um, she's also the first person in her family to travel internationally. So this was a, a new experience for her, uh, which was exciting, but also, you know, there were some things that were uncertain as well. But thankfully for her, she was not alone. She had some help uh, all throughout her experience there. And I'll let you f listen and find out how that happened. Um, but yeah, I really enjoyed talking to Camille. She is so kind and speaks in a very um, 
accessible way <laughs> for people like me who aren't science or tech minded to understand where she's coming from and she's already well on her way her future is bright and i really hope you enjoy hearing what she has to say so without further ado sit back relax and enjoy my interview with my friend camille eddy Okay, so <laughs> um, thank you for agreeing to be a guest on this podcast. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Um, why don't we start with you introducing yourself a bit, if you don't mind. I'm Camille. I am a senior in mechanical engineering. Uh, I have had the opportunity to have quite a few industry internships in Silicon Valley. Um, I currently go to school at University of Idaho. And um, I'm also a public speaker, so I've been able to give quite a few keynote talks on technology, specifically culture bias and AI. And that's what landed me in Budapest um, this past March, where I was giving a keynote at an AI conference um, and talking uh, to this audience of, um, of people from a lot of different countries about you know, about technology and about bias uh, and being able to network and be in that room, uh, discover some, a new place, but then also some new people that I wouldn't have been able to meet otherwise. Nice. Nice. Um, I did have, before we talk about your, um, you know, dig into your trip to Budapest, I did want to ask a few more questions about your background, if that's okay. Yeah. I came across some like interview that you did recently and just, I remember reading that you started public speaking when you were like 12 or something. You uh, like introduced President Obama, is that correct? Oh, so a little bit of a timeline difference there. So I be I became interested in engineering mm-hmm. uh, when I was 12. Oh, gotcha, and, gotcha. Yep, and I, I decided that I wanted to be an engineer because um, I wanted to be an astronaut. And I was a homeschool student. My mom homeschooled me and my sister all the way through. And of course, uh, that wasn't simply enough. She uh, she wanted basically a report or some type of path for how I would become an astronaut. So I had to do research and then present to her, mm-hmm. uh, this is how I would become an astronaut. And the path I chose was, okay, go into engineering. So, um, we moved to Boise, Idaho when I was about 14. And uh, within the first couple of months, uh, she had taken me down to uh, the university to go and and learn about engineering courses and the engineering program at Boise State through high school programs. Mm-hmm. Um, and within the next two years, or actually the next four years, because that was the start of high school for me, um, I was going to all these different engineering camps, and by the time I got to school as a freshman, um, I had a really cool network. And from that, you know, and them knowing my involvement in STEM outreach and wanting to be um, available, and they asked me to speak several different times at different events. Um, when President Obama came and visited the school, uh, I was selected 
as the student that would introduce him. So that was my first major crowd. Um, that person that uh, I was on that stage at that moment uh, was nothing like any version of myself that I had known before because I was uh, a really nervous public speaker before that. I would shake and be like really nervous about it. But that day, for some reason, it was my most confident self. Nice. And I got to meet him. I got to talk to him a little bit. And then, of course, introduce him. And that really started for me this idea that I could do this. I could be a public speaker. I have um, I have the guts and determination to do it um, and to make um, a great speech because I wrote my speech that day. Um, Ooh, okay. So, <laughs> yep, I wrote that all by myself um, and it was approved. And um, also dealing, you know, with somebody that important. Uh, it wasn't because, of course, when pre- when a president comes to town uh, and and you're in that room you're not just meeting the president you're also meeting all the other important people that he wants to meet right Mm -hmm. and that was a great networking um moment for me where i was put in front and and seen and visible by a lot of big stakeholders in our community which led to my first industry internship as well so that was the start yep wow wow that's so i feel like um public speaking is something a lot of people have issues with or are not are intimidated by um, but I guess since you got an early start and you've been doing it for so long, do you feel like you you are even more confident at doing that? I mean, I definitely, so when I was in high school, it was really hard for me to talk in front of small groups of people. Mm-hmm. My hands would shake. Like, uh, I was at space camp and there were six people in my team that I had been working with all week. And it was the end of the week. We were about to finish our project. And our our mentor was like, Camille, you should speak up and tell us what your, your feedback is. Literally, my voice was shaking. And it was that way for like the first year. Mm-hmm. So what happened to me, I think, and brought the confidence along was having to do it a lot of different times. Mm-hmm. Uh, in my freshman year, uh, I introduced President Obama in my sophomore year. But in my freshman year, I had six or seven different interviews, video interviews and speeches in front of people where my knees were shaking nothing was going the way I wanted it to go but I kept getting asked to do it and I kept saying yes because one of my rules of life is always say yes to every new opportunity Hmm. and so I was I felt compelled to and I felt the ability that I could say yes Um, and then and so my nervousness went away after time And so that was the key for me to be put in a position where I had to do it over and over and over and and to be seen and visible and and be put into those opportunities by people who thought that I had something to say or Mm -hmm. that I could fill the gap in some particular way. Well, I mean, I'm not trying to gas you up or anything, but when I was looking through like your website and like Instagram, I'm just already impressed by what you've been able to do, even (laughs) though, you you know, you still have a lot of life to live and, um, you know, even still being a student, you know, you've been able to do so much. So I just, I, I, I just want you to know that I am really impressed by you. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, no, that's good to hear. (laughs) Yeah. And you said, okay, just so I'm clear, you, um, you were homeschooled up until high school or like all, all the, way? the way through high oh, school. Okay. Yeah. I gotcha. was homeschooled from uh, essentially first grade all the way to graduation. Wow. Wow. And my sister was from kindergarten all the way to graduation. Okay. Yeah. And um, going from that to you said you're a student at the University of Idaho. Yeah. So okay. I, I took a gap year and then I transferred to the University of Idaho. So that's okay. where I'm at right now. Okay. Was that transition, like, how was that transition like from you going from homeschool to being in, you know, university and all that? 
um, it was definitely uh, interesting uh, as far as maturity and getting business done and conducting myself professionally. That was not a problem for me. Mm-hmm. Um, came out of the gate ready to do that. Transfer transitioning to um, university style curriculum, public school really was interesting, and uh, I really learned a lot about college fit my first time around. The idea that just because you pick a college doesn't mean that once you get in the system you're the best fit for that college and how mm-hmm. there's different fits for different people. And that was something I didn't understand. I really believed in the system, right? You know, I was like, I'm in college. You just got to trust the system and it's going to get you to where you need to go. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't until uh, my last year at my first school that I was like, oh, this is actually not fitting well. This is not just a problem with, oh, she was homeschooled or, oh, she... Um, there's something wrong with her you know she's a black student engineering how many of those do you see you know and maybe that's for a reason you know all those little self-doubts that you have when you're not performing where you want to perform like for example um just having that be average and being like i think i'm an a student like i should have this 4.0 how can i change it and then going through the processes of changing it in a very clear cut very mentored way like i had plenty of mentors around me i'm a person that believes in a million mentors Mm -hmm. and still not seeing the change but then also realizing at a certain point oh maybe someone above me isn't invested in the change maybe they're not invested in me being a 4.0 student maybe they have so many students coming through that they're like you know you have your students and where they fall is where they fall so it took me some time to realize that and um at the university of idaho i feel like i found a home where people are really invested in my success and uh i'm not just seen as um someone who can who who doesn't need help that was one of the messages i got from my first school it's like oh we didn't realize you needed help and um yeah it was really weird (laughs) so um going to this school it's been a really amazing experience like making the dean's list being more than just a b average student uh really excelling in the ways that i wanted to excel mm-hmm. and excelling professionally so that if there is anybody like thinking about that thinking about their own journey um i would say that college fit is not a myth and that you should really seek to make sure that when you arrive on your campus that you're finding the fit that you thought was right for you i heard a lot of times um other students leaving my first school um, after the first or second semester, I never thought that was for me. You know, mm-hmm. I was like, well, I don't need to leave because, you know, I'm a hard worker and I can make it work. Uh, but eventually it was like, there's such a thing as college fit. And I really believed in myself at that moment. Right. Right. Yep. I'm glad you're able to do that because, like you said, a lot of people might be thinking it's them, you know. Right. So, uh, which isn't always the case. You know, maybe you're just not in the right place, not in the right environment. And then you said you took a, a gap year between like high school graduation and when you started university. I took a gap year um, after finishing a few years of college. Oh, okay, okay, my bad. All yeah. right, what were you yeah, doing no during that time? So I was working. Um, I had an internship at Google, which was a summer internship, okay. and uh, it got extended. They asked me to stay, and I stayed for um, I stayed till December. So I started in May, and instead of it just being a three month internship like in August it got extended for another four months Mm. so I was able to stay at Google for about six or seven months um, as an intern and then uh, in February I got a new internship uh, in the same um, area uh, in uh, Santa Clara California at NVIDIA 
and I stayed there for uh, I stayed there from February through August so um, another six or seven months there as well as an intern and that was my gap year um, pretty much from from that May of 20 whatever it was that May to um, August of the next year um, I was just working in um, really good tech companies and and loving it yeah awesome so was it okay so was it like during that gap year before the gap year that you decided to change schools like what was the point where you were like okay I'm ready to go back and this is the type of environment I want to be in yeah at that point um I was really exhausted with like the whole cycle of not really doing well Mm -hmm. not really seeing improvement and one of the things that happened in my sophomore year so that same year that you know I introduced President Obama and got my first industry internship is I had learned that there was a bigger community of of mentors that I could access through social media like Twitter and Facebook like you could use that as a way to meet people in your field elsewhere and I found that I was actually missing other black woman mentors in my field Mm -hmm. there were I had great mentors everywhere but they weren't black women and when I got to California for my first industry internship um in the summer and this was before Google but um I met this amazing woman her name was Dr. Samani her name is Dr. Samani and she became my mentor as a black woman and I realized that there was a difference in the advice she would give me it wasn't like completely deviant from anything I'd ever heard but Mm -hmm. it was really specific to my identity and how I work and and she seemed to really resonate with me in a way that my previous mentors hadn't before so I was getting ready to head back (laughs) to um to Idaho and head back to school mm-hmm. and uh, she noticed that there was something different about me um, that I was a little low energy consistently and she was like what's going on and she's like you don't seem happy you don't seem happy with the idea of going back to that cycle and that's when we decided together that maybe it was time for me to change it up and um, and to start applying and I had told myself things like I, there's no way I can transfer I'm too late into the program um, no other school would would take me and what she told what she basically showed me was there was an echo chamber going on in my own head that I didn't even realize that I was believing a lie about Mm. myself that I couldn't go somewhere else and so we sat there right there when she opened up that that whole idea for me we sat right there and started looking at schools like you know look you are eligible to apply for a transfer to these schools so we need to start doing that and then um, the offer came to extend my internship and so from there I was like okay I'm going to work on this for the next you know it was about three or four months like applying to different schools um and i ended up landing on university of idaho um wasn't my first expectation you know i expected you know oh i could go anywhere i could go across the country i could go to dc you know Mm -hmm. there's all these other places but somehow it landed back at university of idaho and um i was like okay this is great because at least I'm going back to school. It doesn't matter where I go to school as long as I pick a new environment. And that's what the goal, um, that's why I decided I was going to be happy with the idea of just going to a new environment. So that process came and went and I ended back up in school at University of Idaho in fall semester and immediately saw differences um, in the community and the environment and uh, my, my relationship with my advisor and then also in my relation like through the classrooms um the peers like the peer relationships were so much better for me uh there's quite a few differences that i could compare to my first experience that told me that things are moving in the right direction 
Yeah, that's so good. And I'm glad you were able to find like black women mentors to yes. to help you through that process. Is it more so um, a case of you seeking them and reaching out to them? Or is it like a mix between that and them kind of finding you? Like how, how do you, or yeah. how are you able to connect with all these mentors of yours? So one of the things I employ, and my mom taught me this because she did the same exact thing when we were kids, like Mm -hmm. she would be able to go into a new community and meet people. And one of the the ways that I do this is creating low stakes situations. So putting yourself, sometimes that means you have to physically be in the room. Sometimes that means you can do it through Twitter, right? Mm -hmm. The idea that you don't need to have a high stakes situation to get a mentor. Uh, I think a lot of students think about that. Like, you know, they write the carefully crafted email, like asking someone to be their mentor when really it's about the people that are around you. So what had, I'm going to tell you actually the story of meeting my mentor, Dr. Samani. Um, I was working at HP in Silicon Valley. So um, in Palo Alto. And I went to my manager and said, hey, there's this really cool data science conference um, in San Francisco. Would you pay for me and another intern to go to this conference? And he said yes, because he was an amazing manager. Because <laughs> um, it was in within three days. So that means, right. you know, you're paying the highest price ticket just to get to this conference. But they were like, yeah, go ahead, go. It would be a great learning experience. And I was a robotics intern at the time. So mm. it was, you know, relevant. And got on a train, went to this conference for a couple of days, and I noticed this black woman in the crowd, in the seats, you know, in the conference going about, Mm -hmm. and she was the only one I saw, and I was like, I'm going to say hi to her before the conference is over. So literally the last day of the conference, it was the last event, it was happy hour. She was talking to somebody, actually, and I just didn't even think about it. I just went right up to her and said, hi, my name's Camille, and she shook my hand graciously and was like, hi, my name's Dr. Samani, and we started talking, uh, me and the other intern, and we just started talking about and we just seemed to connect like in this conversation it was mm-hmm. it was right there and she's like you know I'll drive y'all home I have to go back to La Altos you know I'll drive you down to Palo Alto and drop you off and you're like no 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 that's okay we'll take the train and she's like no you should really take my offer <laughs> and um so she convinced us to go with her and yeah we did we we drove down she dropped us off at HP and we learned like about our family and then all of a sudden we learned that she also worked in the same building as us at oh, HP. nice. She worked across the cafeteria, right? So that was a surprise. Uh, and the next day, I got up, went to lunch, and walked by her desk and said, hi, Dr. Savani. And, and it was really cool. And that was the start of our relationship there. Mm-hmm. And and then she learned more about my story, about where I'm from, from Idaho. This is before uh, I actually made that jump to, to leave. This was a year before that happened mm-hmm. because I did go back for another year. Um, and uh, we had made a plan together, like, okay, when you go back to Idaho, this is what you're going to do. You're going to have, you're going to invest time in these clubs and in these areas, but you have this long-term goal, you know, to be an engineer, to be an astronaut. So we need to refocus your your expectations to try to help you reach this goal better. Um, and so by the time I came back the next year as an intern at Google, sitting across from Dr. Samani saying, I'm, I'm feeling tired of this process. I went back mm-hmm. and it wasn't different. Uh, she had been such a, a bedrock for me for a whole year. We had developed a really strong relationship so that when we got to that high stakes situation of, oh, maybe it's time for Camille to leave. That was something that I had built a foundation with her, you know, like a foundational relationship that right. was there. So that's how I meet my mentors. I believe in 
in a million mentors like anybody can mentor me uh, my peers can mentor me you know um, people out of my industry can mentor me uh, it's an idea of a posse you know you have a posse around you mm-hmm. and a bunch <laughs> of different ideas right yeah and so having those low stakes situations like a conference or a social media conversation is what allows me to find new mentors nice is is she the same mentor who you said went to budapest with you or yes she is okay (laughs) yeah she came with me to budapest uh i was like dr samadhi is my first time traveling internationally i have no idea what i'm doing uh my family has never traveled internationally before Mm -hmm. so would you be willing to come and she literally got a plane ticket and came and met me in budapest yep that's awesome. Yeah. Good on yeah. her. Like, yeah, you know, just <laughs> dropping everything to go to Budapest with you. Yep, yep. And we we discovered it together. It turned out to be a great networking event for her as well because she also was in the room of people who are influential. And in fact, she's in Budapest right now without me because mm-hmm. she got an invitation to go back and speak herself. Oh, okay. Uh, by coming with me to Budapest, so we we helped out each other there. So yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's yep. it's a mutual thing. Yeah. Yep, exactly. So you were so you were nervous then going to Budapest. You said that you were the first person in your immediate family to leave the country. So like like how did that make you feel at the time? You know, it, I, I I do a lot of firsts in my family. Like mm-hmm. I'm the first engineer in my family as well. You know, mm-hmm. um, and between me and my sister, uh, I went to a four year college. She went to a two year college. Mm-hmm. My mom went to a four year college as well. So I'm not a first generation student, but I've done a lot of firsts in my family. Yeah. Um, so I was I was happy because I was going to be able to relate the experience to them. Uh, they tend to follow in my footsteps a little bit. Even my mom sometimes will follow in my footsteps. Like for example, uh, when I start flying around the country, she wasn't a big flyer. Um, but within the last year, she started flying around the country as well to mm-hmm. go to events and to speak and things like that. So um, I was excited to be able to relate that experience back to them because I know it would inspire them to do great things themselves. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, you know, the idea of going through customs, like leaving <laughs> the country, yeah. it was uh, <laughs> such a big thing in my mind. Um, and I don't know, it probably was a big thing in my, my mo- mom's mind as well. Like, you know, are you going to be safe? And I think having Dr. Samani with me just kind of aided that idea that I was going to have someone to help me along the way. Mm-hmm. And w- along the way, actually, there's <laughs> it was kind of weird. There was different black women along the way to my trip through Budapest that would help me out um, when I went to go. One example is when I went to go get money exchanged. Mm-hmm. Um for the trip I was in Seattle and it was a black woman at the exchange shop and she was like so you know you know right you need a little fanny pack to put the money close to you right and and then I and like don't take uh just a hundred dollars go ahead and and do as much as you think you're gonna spend here you know she gave me little tips mm-hmm. um even there and so uh I felt good about the trip um eventually once I got like on the plane and 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 felt like everything was secure and then even being in budapest it was pretty chill and just having dr samani there was really helpful um and i i think my nerves calm what didn't calm down was the jet lag because i've never been (laughs) like what was that um i was good the first two days but the third day which happened to be the day of my speech i have never felt so low energy before and there's like nothing i could do about it (laughs) so definitely i don't have to plan better um next time but yeah yeah wow yeah that that is totally understandable um but it's good that you had people looking out for you even with the women helping you with currency exchange and everything exactly um 
Okay. How long was it that you were in Budapest? I was there for almost a week. The travel time was like a week. And then, so I guess I was there for maybe like five days, if you discount travel time. Okay. Yep. Gotcha. And then um, was this, like, had you applied to be able to speak at this conference or were you invited to come based on your past, like, speaking engagements? Yeah, I was invited to come based on my past speaking engagements. I had... Um, that's generally what happens is, you know, something will land in my inbox. It's a request. This one I think came through LinkedIn initially, Mm. um, by this amazing, you know, um, conference, um, organizer. And usually my rule of thumb is I'll reply once. And then if they come back with the, my, what I generally expect as a high quality, you know, relationship, like, oh, here are the details. It's concrete details. Here's the website. It's already mm-hmm. up. You know, Things like that. I can usually vet to see if it's a good process. And then from there, I got on a phone call and we talked about my talk. And, um, you know, one of the things I always do is make sure they know that I'm a student um, because this is also during the school year. Uh, so I had, you know, make sure that they know that I'm a student, that they know, you know, what my actual credentials are and that they still want to, you know, hear from me. And they said, yes, because, you know, sometimes that's kind of weird when you get the call and you're like, do, do, do I know know do do what what are their ideas and what is their agenda and mm-hmm. um it all checked out and so from there um y- you know they started moving things forward like getting me the hotel getting me the flight because that's all taken care of within their organization and so that's how it got started yeah all expenses paid right is what you said of course yeah all expenses <laughs> paid and an honorarium on top get Ooh, paid okay <laughs> yeah <laughs> yes that's fantastic um, so like, what is your process then during this time? Because you're still a student and then you're going to Budapest to, you know, present at this conference. So I'm sure you're preparing for that, but of course, I'm sure you want to explore as well. So like, what, like, how are you like managing your time during this, this week that you're in Budapest? Well, because we got there two days before I was slated to speak. Mm-hmm. So we uh and then the first night actually dr samani got stuck um i believe she got stuck somewhere in india or something like that a layover yeah and so um so i was by myself for the first night and it it was actually the hotel was right by the conference center and it was on this through fair um so i was able to find something to eat you know Mm -hmm. and get to sleep fine and then the next day when Dr. Samani came, we just started uh, just trying to discover where the conference is, what the venue was like. We, I have this thing where before I give a presentation, I see where I'm presenting so I can kind of envision, you know, where am I standing? What's it going to look like when I look out into the crowd? Yeah. So we did a couple of that. And then we just kind of started getting info on where to go to eat, where to go to walk around. We hired a cab at first. Um to kind of see some things, but we weren't really pressed, you know, because we knew we had a couple more days. Mm-hmm. So when the conference actually started, you know, we're at the conference generally, um, but we we're also really tired. We were having some late mornings there. <laughs> yeah. um, and then what we ended up doing, and I think it was the best thing that we could have done was after I given the speech, we still had a couple days left. I was ready to go home by this point. I was mm-hmm. like, oh, it's day three. I'm ready to go home. <laughs> um but we rented a cab because the hotel had told us, hey, we like to use this cab service. We're going to call this guy for you. He'll 
treat you really well. Don't mm-hmm. worry about it. And we were just going to dinner, but he turned out to be so friendly that we actually had him take us to all the sites. So we went to go see the castles. Mm-hmm. We went to go see the statues. And we did it at night. Mm-hmm. And that was really great because there was no crowds. And Budapest is a tourist city. Like, they're building their tourism traffic. And there are lots of crowds during the day. We saw that when we were walking about a little bit during the day. Yeah. And uh, so it was a, a good way to divide up conference duties, right? Being available to network, going out to dinner. Um, one of the things about the conference, too, when I got to speak is at the day after my speech, there was another data scientist who talked about some of the same things that I was talking about, mm-hmm. but from a very project-specific way. So they stacked our speeches so that way I could uh, introduce the subjects and then he could come back with even more details and in-depth things. And mm, we nice. ended up uh, meeting at an organ recital. I'd never been to like an organ recital in a very big, you know, Bastilla or I forget what it's called, but, you know, a really big church with mm-hmm. um, really ornate things. Yeah. And it was really interesting. We met them there. So pretty much it was after this the speech that we really got into sightseeing and gotcha. and going around and 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 meeting with people and not just turning it into a um you know like go and see but more like let's hear from people like from the cab driver or let's meet up with some of the other speakers and 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 still like you know network and yeah. and be a part yeah for the uninitiated like me i'm not a science-minded person um <laughs> My mom is actually a mechanical engineer, but I, oh, awesome. I'm, I'm not, um, I'm not in that way. I'm not <laughs> science-oriented <laughs> at all. But so right. for the uninitiated like me, can you give <laughs> like just um, uh, an idea of what it was that you talked about? Absolutely. So I talked about bias okay. in technology and specifically bias in artificial intelligence. Okay. So we are we today are relying on artificial intelligence, whether it's in our phones, like for example, when you use Facebook, you're using um, your feed is being produced for you by an artificial intelligence, by an algorithm um, that says, oh, this should, you should see this, your friends have been engaging on this post, so you would probably like this post, or this is how we're going to show you your friends posts, you know, you have maybe a thousand friends, but you only see some of them at certain times, mm-hmm. you know. We're engaging with artificial intelligence every day. Where it gets weird is we're also seeing policy decisions made based on artificial intelligence. Yeah. So, for example, police um, communities are starting using artificial intelligence to predict where crime is um, or even to identify people at places where crime has happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the the harm that can come is when, for example, you're not shown or you don't understand how your data was being used, you know, for you as either a customer of Facebook Mm -hmm. or as a defendant against a police um, community, right? Like if, if they want to ask you for information or they come to your house, you want to know how they got the information and what brought them to your house. But there's not a lot of transparency in that 
in total because artificial intelligence is being used more as an ad hoc way to make better technology. Hmm. It's used as an ad hoc way to predict for you what you're going to want to watch next on Netflix, right? Mm -hmm. So we need transparency in that system. But then also um, when you use technology that relies on on, um, artificial intelligence, such as facial recognition. So another term for that is computer vision. Mm -hmm. When the, when a camera can pick out features like of a face or of a person, like their skin tone and identify them as someone, as a person, uh, that can get tricky if it doesn't have enough data because these are data-driven processes, Mm -hmm. which means when we're training our algorithms to make a decision to interpret our world for us, it's using data that it already has, just like we do, right? When we go about and we see a car going down the road, we recognize that as a car going down the road because we've seen a lot of other cars going down the road. Right, right. Artificial intelligence is the same exact thing. And so if you, for example, have a facial recognition platform that's supposed to be a computer detecting a face and it doesn't have enough information to understand, hey, this is a black face um, with a darker skin tone. It's still a face. Mm-hmm. That that it could misunderstand that and say something like, "Oh, this is an animal," and that's actually oh, happened. Goodness, Google actually had a mistake where they identified two black people as gorillas instead of people, wow. which is a big you know cultural faux pas that the artificial intelligence um, does was not it was not foreseen that that could happen right Mm -hmm. and so my talk is about understanding where our biases lie being able to detect bias from the get-go and being able to fix and correct those before you deploy those into communities that it could harm right Mm -hmm. um or that could cause harm to other people and the idea that as we deploy tech into communities that we are not a part of we are not members of uh we need to be careful over 50% of the world um, still suffers from no internet or um, intermittent internet. Okay. And that means that they are not providing us the data that we need to serve them well. Because, Mm -hmm. again, artificial intelligence is based on data. Uh, Strategies by companies, you know, as far as, like, how do we make a product is based on data. Mm -hmm. And if they don't have the data of these other communities that are not online, that means that we have not built an internet and an online world that was made for these people Mm -hmm. and when they come online it's going to be much harder for them to be a part of our world that we've created and educated ourselves on um people like ibm have been creating tools to a understand bias and algorithms so that you can run your algorithm through one of their processes and it can tell you hey it looks like you have a bias here towards white males in this age group or something like that mm. it will literally tell you that or um hey you're trying to use a facial recognition um system you need our data set of diverse spaces from all over the world that will sufficiently educate your algorithm on what different types of faces look like Mm. and a couple other companies are also coming out with some of those tools but when I started talking um, about the idea of bias in AI back in 2016 
there were no tools out there. Nobody had developed these tools. Okay. Um, IBM hadn't developed theirs. Google hadn't developed theirs. Microsoft hadn't announced theirs. And so I was talking about this idea of explainable AI mm-hmm. and the idea that you should be able to understand why artificial intelligence makes the decisions that it makes. Because we're And, and the reason it's important is because we're building tech that can't serve people in the way that it was intended and we're also making policy decisions based off of decisions that we don't have transparent um we don't have a transparent reach into to understand do we know why it labeled a community as violent and needing more policing do we Mm -hmm. know why an algorithm detected someone and and didn't call them a person but call them something else and and figuring out how we um, with our own biases and implicit biases, actually codify that and co- and put our biases into technology that we produce. Yeah. So it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter if you're technical or non-technical. Uh, everybody is affected and contributes to this problem in some way. If you build any type of product at any time uh, and somehow, some way, an engineer decides that artificial intelligence would be of use to this product, that's when everybody has to stop and, and think about uh, have we made sure that we're using good data? Do, do the people who were using their data, do they know that their data is being used in this way? Mm-hmm. And also, can we detect any biases and look and audit? You know, that word audit, as in check regularly and have a, a procedure to check for biases that could harm other people. Yeah. Wow. I feel like I'm learning so much from you today. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> and um, I, I really appreciate how um, the context you're putting it in, in terms of like people who um, artificial intelligence is serving and who gets left out. Yeah, that that really helps me understand like where you're coming from. So thank you for <laughs> explaining yeah. that to me. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, we all can own a part of the solution. And the other thing I encourage people is to be um, creators just as much as they're consumers of yeah. tech. Um, you should be a part of the conversation. If you see surveys pop up, you should take those surveys. Uh, but if you also have the opportunity to create something, even if you believe it's out there already in the world, mm-hmm. there is something to be said about community-based tech, tech that comes out of community for that community it was made in, mm-hmm. because that's part of the conversation that a lot of Silicon Valley engineers miss out on they're in silicon valley and literally they're tied to their desk they're tied to their area they're tied to their point of view so by you creating even a competitive uh competitive product that's based for your community Mm -hmm. it can help shape the narrative um of how should tech be built and how should it be deployed in your community um and that's i think that's really important that people feel that they have the right and the agency to be able to do that because they do yeah, that's so important. That's so important to to note that as well. Um, how do you feel that your your talk was received? Um, it was received well. I, I learned a couple of things. I always learn things when I give a talk, especially in front of a new audience, because I've given this talk in front of non-technical people and technical people, mm-hmm. and then also predominantly white audiences or predominantly diverse audiences, right? Mm-hmm. And there are different... Everybody has different ways of taking it. Uh, One of the questions of the people that did come up to me was, well, 
are you saying that you can't have any bias because we need bias you know and I was like of course you need bias you um we all have stereotypes that we use and that we use to navigate the world right Mm -hmm. I expect a driver to behave this way or I expect um a teacher to behave in a certain way towards me you know as a student we all have stereotypes right um the idea and what I use from that feedback was I need to be careful about saying it's the unwanted bias that we want to get rid of. We want to get rid of bias that uh, makes our society worse, such as racial bias or mm-hmm. sexist bias. And there are all those biases currently happen in AI all the time right now. Like, for example, um, there are different algorithms used to train other algorithms. So remember when I was talking about data, mm-hmm. it's a data-driven product. Well, in order to make an algorithm really try true and good for de- deployment they have to train it and there was a specific uh, training algorithm used for search engines so if you think about google right it's a search mm-hmm. engine and but also if you think about netflix and even the search bar on facebook that's also a search engine and there was this training algorithm used that actually had a sexist bias because it was to help people understand word relation help algorithms understand word relationships like if you type in something like uh how far away is the moon google starts auto populating that for you mm-hmm. like oh did you know it's it's this amount of miles away right and this particular training algorithm would answer certain questions like if man is to compute a programmer what is a woman and it would say oh she's a homemaker just flat out right so (laughs) those types of biases occur all the time right and what's crazy about this is the way they act so this is a training algorithm but Mm -hmm. the way they trained that algorithm was by taking a lot of different articles from google news Mm -hmm. from the news section of google and using those word relationships to train this training algorithm. Yeah. So the bias is in the way we talk. Mm-hmm. That algorithm learned from us right. and how we talk to each other through news articles. So that's why you can't just simply take all of the information on the internet, put it into an algorithm, and then say, look, it's better. Because the information on the internet up to this point has not talked about rooting out bias Mm. that has been our own blind spot as a society that we have not valued the idea of who's missing from the conversation and it has not reflected in our conversations with each other and so we have to that's one of the reasons why i I love doing podcasts. I love doing articles online. And I love encouraging, especially other women of color, to put their own articles online of their experiences, of their ideas, of their values, because we need more authorship on the web. We need more authorship everywhere to present other ideals and other um, other perspectives so that it starts getting picked up by these machines that go and crawl the web and create relationships between words and that's another reason why we need those populations who aren't online right now to be a part of the conversation because we need a lot more information Mm -hmm. from everybody yeah for sure this conference is held in in budapest every year it's not a conference that like changes locations or anything um, it was actually the first conference of its kind. So that okay. was really interesting, too. I got an invitation. Usually, like, when you do a first conference, right, you get all the big wigs and the and the heavy hitters. And that was a really honor, big honor for me, the mm. fact that this was their first conference um, having – it was called Reinforce AI. Yeah. And they have another conference every year called CRAFT, um, which is about multimedia in general. And this was a spinoff conference. And mm. so – 
one of the things that's interesting about Europe in general and the conferences that are taking place in Europe is they are going about it in a different way. They want to have a lot of different people um, at conferences. So, for example, at the conference in Budapest, I was the only solo woman to speak on the stage. Wow. And I was also the only black woman to speak on the stage. Wow. So... When you're trying to have diverse conferences or diversity in general, sometimes it's not a matter of, oh, look, we have 30% women. We have, you know, a lot of racial diversity. Sometimes it's just about being the first. Hmm. And that was me in this case, right? I was yeah. one of the first. And, and then hopefully next year there are even more, there's even more diversity. But like for some people, they have to start somewhere. And I feel there's uh, there was another conference that actually was a European-based conference that came to Chicago um, this past summer. And I was invited to speak again. And again, one of the few Black people on the stage. Mm -hmm. And it's this idea that we want... That that we want to create a different type of conference. We want conferences that are more diverse. And I love the way I haven't seen, I mean, I definitely have been able to benefit from really great conference organizers here in the U S. Mm -hmm. um, and I could give you a whole list of other conferences that you could possibly go to. Um, and, and your listeners could go to that are across the U S that are amazing. Mm -hmm. um, and it create really great atmospheres, but that, that was something new for me to realize that they were intentionally doing something different and trying to create a better um, atmosphere through this first iteration of the conference. Yeah. I'm glad that you um, said all that because I was curious about, you know, from a conference organizing standpoint or even like the tech industry in general, what you might have observed was kind of like the the approach in Europe or I guess in Budapest more specifically, like what are the, like, the priorities or what are people most interested in, you know, focusing on or, you know, things like that. Because obviously we have Silicon Valley, that's a huge thing, but I'm obviously not that familiar with the landscape over in Europe, so I didn't know, or was curious about any sort of observations you might have made in relation to that. Yeah, um, I would say that, you know, Silicon Valley, there's really no place like it um, right. when it comes to how its reputation, I guess, mm -hmm. you know, it just has this bigger than life reputation. One of the things that I have benefited from was having had about two and a half years or so in Silicon Valley. Um, I I kind of was able to dispel some of the myth for myself and be like, oh, this is one place. And that helped me appreciate and not undervalue, you know, the Budapest space because that is, a, they are and have a, a really strong history when it comes to tech and and I can't speak too much to it because you know of course I'm not I'm not living there I didn't spend that right. much time there <laughs> right. but at the same time yeah it they everybody around the world has pockets of influence where they are trying to create really good tech that can go on a global scale mm -hmm. and Budapest is is no different from any of those places and I I felt a welcomed um, because they're very friendly people. Um, mm -hmm. And then also, and I was there for the conversation as well. That's something that I always encourage young people like myself to be in the places where the conversations are being held mm -hmm. because that's the influence, that's the power you can bring. When I come home to Idaho, I bring so much context to my Idaho peers about what life is like 
for the tech scene like in Silicon Valley and in Budapest. Mm-hmm. Like I I can say, no, this isn't how they think. Like I literally listened to how they described how they think about this matter. And I would encourage you to, you know, shift your view of them, right? right shift right. your perspective of them. Or Google is the best and awesome place and the only place to work and you can only get the things <laughs> that Google does done at Google. And I'll be like, oh, wait, did you know that Google actually buys companies and they start somewhere else or Mm -hmm. if you want to be a director of google you don't need to start at the bottom you don't need to be like an intern and go all the way up to director Mm -hmm. build a few companies be successful and a lot of directors at google happen to be entrepreneurs who came from other successful smaller companies you know i can provide that context to people in Mm -hmm. a way that's different because i was literally in the room for those conversations i i saw them with my own eyes so Budapest is the same way, you know, they have a really cool um, hub of innovation in tech and in development that I I definitely didn't know about before I got the call. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, they're, they're up there. Um, and, and there are places outside of Silicon Valley, outside of all the other places that we know in America that do the same thing. Yeah. And uh, you said that you, you know, when you go when you have all these different experiences, whether it's like working in Silicon Valley or going to conferences, you're able to provide a certain context for your fellow students when you come back to Idaho. Going into all these spaces, but you're still quite young, you're a black woman, you're still a student. Do you think that those things kind of bring something to those environments that's like special, um, that's kind of unique to you? Yeah, I mean, I would say that a lot, a majority of Idaho students, um, and this is not like University of Idaho, this is just Idaho in general, mm-hmm. you know, Idaho's ranked number 50 for high school graduation and college, um, you know, going on to college um, out of the 50 saints, so, mm-hmm. like we're pretty low in the bucket there. And so a lot of times uh, students stay in this area, they don't really branch out Mm -hmm. as much Um, unless of course maybe your student came from another area to start you know like you came in from a different state so it can be hard to find I think examples of students that have gone outside the community and come back Mm -hmm. usually like you go and then you're just gone like I've met a couple of people um, at Google that were from Idaho from all over Idaho and but they're there now they're not you know they're not kind of like me where I'm coming back and forth mm-hmm. um, a bunch of different times. So I think that that is different about me and that's something unique that I do bring. And I try to share with it as much as possible, share that type of perspective and the possibilities as much as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, it can be hard though, right? Because you want to stay up here. You don't want to be seen as, oh, I have all these years of experience. I, I still need my peer relationships to thrive um, as peer relationships. So sometimes I also find that I'm I'm not hiding, but I'm not just putting it out there all the time because mm-hmm. it can, you know, one of the things I think it has benefited me is just the knowledge that of where things are in the world, like where I am in the world in relation to where I want to be. Mm-hmm. And I don't need to engage in a lot more the same type of busy work that I did when I was a freshman, right? Yeah. When I was a freshman, my freshman semester after being homeschooled, I joined 12 different clubs. <laughs> and I was in everything and everywhere because I wanted to be, I wanted the exposure and I would push myself to the very edge of like doing all the things. And then my second year came in and my third year came in more where I was doing less and I was more focused. Mm-hmm. And like I had a specific path. So now that... um I'm, you know, about to finish. I'll be finishing this summer. 
and I have a lot more intention in what I do. I can I can look at an opportunity and say, hmm, I see what this where this opportunity is going. I have some I have some assumptions about where it will lead and if this is something that I should be doing. Mm-hmm. You know, because I, now I can say no very freely. I can be like, no, I'm not going to take a second year internship at Google because I've been there and I understand the process. I get the message mm-hmm. and I can use this to explore somewhere else. So if my first rule of life is um, you know, say yes to every new opportunity. My second rule of life is to never do anything twice. Mm. And being able to say no freely without FOMO, you know, the fear of missing out yeah. is really helpful because that allows me to work on other things. So, for example, I had um, some research experience with NASA and I had the opportunity to do the same research experience. But I said, no, I'm going to do something else. And what I ended up doing was creating um, a separate club full of interdisciplinary students from Mm. all majors you didn't have to be engineering I had writing majors I had science majors I had all these other majors in this one club and we did space projects on our own without Mm -hmm. really any help from anyone you know we got open source content from NASA to do um, virtual reality simulations and and we just started to do it on our own and then to educate our community about like these virtual reality simulations that we had made and that was what I did instead of going back to the same experience so now you know in my very last year I can be so focused and so hyper focused on what I want to do that it's super helpful helpful even though it took you know quite it took some time you mm. know it wasn't like something that happened the first year but I think that's something that's unique that I can bring I can bring a lot of context from my previous experiences to my peers but then I can also choose where to walk and where to put my feet and go in the direction that I think will lead to the best you know um, <laughs> the best ending of this process for me right where mm. I have accepted hopefully by February next spring, I've accepted the best job offer that I could possibly get. Yeah. Um, I've I've hit a couple of goals, um, maybe broken some records as far as what I could expect as an entry level um, mechanical engineer, mm-hmm. and that my previous experiences have really helped me do that. Yeah. 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 Uh, I realize I didn't phrase my question the way I meant to, but it's fine okay, because. Okay. Because, no, all that is, like, extra context that I I really do appreciate in terms of you trying to, like, navigate doing everything that you do and still being a student, being active and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I I guess I was more <laughs> so thinking, like, when you go to conferences, like the conference you did in Budapest, mm-hmm. and you're among all these people that um, some might say are more credentialed than you and more experienced than mm, you, yeah. like having your background having done what you've done how is it that you feel like that you bring in those types of situations that is unique I guess that's what I was leaning to yeah no that's fine (laughs) yeah no thanks for asking it again because yeah I guess because if you don't have the confidence to go in those situations right you get Mm -hmm. impacted by imposter syndrome right yeah yeah that's the next step if you don't have the confidence and so that's one of the reasons why um I, I faced a little bit of an issue when it came time to transition from my old school to my new school. And it was really interesting that some of the people in my old school, some of my old mentors who, you know, were great when I, were there, when I was there, mm-hmm. I think they felt that they were managing my identity for me, helping me manage my professional identity mm-hmm. and the fact that I was a student. So when I left the school, I felt a little pushback um, from that area because 
you know, I think they were trying to help me manage my identity as a professional when I, I needed to actually step out on my own and manage it for myself. Mm. And that's one of the things that I always do when it comes to these conferences, especially these AI conferences, right, where I'm bringing an introduction of this idea and I can help show you, I can, this past summer, I even led a workshop in helping people understand how to use the technology to, with transparency and AI. And I got a really great rating on it. It was awesome. It was like a a little more than nine out of 10 and Mm -hmm. it was incredible. So, um, but of course, you know, I'm a mechanical engineer. Some people would say there's a mismatch there with AI, like you're a mechanical engineer, but you program, like, I don't understand, (laughs) you know, all those types of things. But what these conference organizers who have from from Budapest way back to when I got started recognize I think is that the powerful um, narrative that I bring to the stage mm-hmm. I can talk about it uh, I'm accessible that's the other key so this this goes far beyond just being in tech so if you're not in tech this is still a conversation for you because it's also about being accessible to share your narratives and share what what you're experiencing and how you're going about navigating your life and and negotiating with your tech experience Mm -hmm. right Uh, or with your industry experience negotiating your industry experience as whatever identity you are so being able to get in the room with yes those very conditioned people people with two phds even dr samani herself she has two phds wow. you know it's like <laughs> whoa yeah you know like whoa what do you say and i just have to keep it honest i have to keep it honest relevant and right and, and you know also too so that says something too i just thought about this you just made me think about this mm. Having Dr. Samani, a black woman with two PhDs as my mentor, really helped me be able to hold a conversation amongst those other PhD folks, right? Mm, Because, you know, she has instilled in me certain values and ideas, and then also how to frame these ideas. She, all the time, she's helping me uh, reframe things, letting me know when something's maybe a little young, you know, like, okay, you're showing your age, Camille, you know, (laughs) we need to work on this, you know, those types of things, right? Mm -hmm. Being with her and working on her with that and working on with, you know, some of the other mentors, it kind of prepped me, my mom even, um, she says this all the time because, you know, she homeschooled us. Mm-hmm. And she talks about how when we were growing up, me and my sister, we could hold a conversation with a two-year-old. We could also hold a conversation with an adult yeah. in the same space. And she talked about how that was um, a skill set that we brought um, wherever we went. And we were able to go in a lot of different situations with her because, you know, of course, we were with her 24 you know, hours of the day. Um, and she talks about how homeschooling allowed us to spend more time with her and learn from her. Um, versus learning from other people and also learning from the places that she took us because she would take us to business meetings. She would take us to, she was a lay pastor. So she would take us to, you know, places where we had to have, you know, where she was having conversations and we would learn about that. And I think that's something that I picked up um, and that I actually programmed into my lifestyle, mm-hmm. l- getting the million mentors that I have. And I, I use million as a, you know, as a kind of a phrase, but, right. you know, having, <laughs> right, having a bunch of mentors um, that have a lot of different levels and being able, of course, to have Dr. Samani as a mentor has been awesome because I have to have those types of conversations, you know, pretty much every day. Yeah. So it gave me confidence, yes, to go walk into that room. People I don't know, speaking a lot of different languages mm-hmm. and I actually felt very comfortable. I, I mean, I definitely felt a little uncomfortable with the jet lag. <laughs> yeah. But um, as far as holding a conversation, talking to people who came up to me after my speech and asked me questions, that's something that I've had to learn as well as how to answer questions that I don't have the answer to. Yeah. Um, because 
when I put in these rooms and these situations, that means that people with real business cases that like are in financial banking or in sectors I really have no real insight for, I have to figure out how to generalize my answers in a way that makes sense to give them some leads about where they could go mm-hmm. while while still being able to say, yeah, I don't, I'm not 100% sure, but this is probably some, a way that you could start your discovery process about what would be the next step. Yeah. Uh, speaking of jet lag, you were there for a, a week, right? Or like five yep. days. So yep. you basically just had like enough time to get over jet lag before you had to turn around and come back. Is that basically yep. how it went? Yeah, I did. Yeah, I was so jet lagged that third day, the day of my speech. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't even think I gave the best speech ever. But somehow some people got something from it. You know, mm-hmm. they came up and asked me questions afterwards. But yeah, and then like the next couple of days after that, I think I was fine. And we were able to do all those touristy stuff. Yeah. 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 What do you um like? What was kind of like the most memorable thing? Or even if you have a favorite thing that you did while, while you were out exploring Budapest, what was... What was that? Oh, um, okay, yeah. I had it was a very interesting experience. So I told you how we skipped, um, we skipped the idea of riding on a bus, like the hop on hop off buses, and mm-hmm. we got a cab driver to drive us around and just stay with us. And it was night, so there were no crowds, and we were able to go um, places. So we had heard about the castle at Budapest. There's a castle, and we wanted to go to that. And so uh, he was driving us around. And taking little stops here and there of places that were interest, like showing us a bath or a really cool statue. And we would get out and take some pictures and he would wait for us. And then we started driving up to this one building. It was past the president's house um, of Budapest. And then we were driving in and we thought this was the castle. And it turns out this really big building was the library. And I was so in awe that what I would see as a castle here in the United States from my perspective was literally their library. And the castle was a couple of miles away and we went to go see that too. But it was like, wow, I've never seen a library like that. And I've come from really small towns, right, where we would always try to go check out the library. And, like, in certain towns we lived in, it was a one-room library. Uh, and then the next town we lived in, like, oh, my gosh, it's a four-story library. It's such a big library. It's amazing. Like, mm-hmm. we grew up as a family valuing, valuing our libraries and being impressed. Uh, I remember when I got my first internship in Silicon Valley, I was living in San Jose, and my internship was in Palo Alto. But the very first Saturday that I was there, um, I went and found the library. And it was the MLK Library on San Jose State. Mm. And I was so impressed by this. So you can imagine my shock and surprise when I see a castle for a library. (laughs) Um, That was the most memorable experience. I was like, this is so cool. I was slightly curious about the food. This is one thing I always wonder about is the food. I mean, did you kind of just go with like what was available at the conference or was at the hotel? Or did you try to try more local dishes i'm not sure what like hungarian specialties are or anything but yeah um so there was a mix of both because you know sometimes um the conference didn't have dinner yeah so like there was a speaker dinner um like the very first night we were there and then the second day um i think we went and walked around and not to say anything against budapest and they're amazing lovely people but Mm -hmm. To us, to me, Dr. Samani, the food was really bland, and we were so ready to, like, come home and eat. We were, we were like, this is really different. Like, it was 
some similar stuff, you know. I mean, it wasn't that exotic. I'm not saying we were like eating, you know, different parts of animals that we were unfamiliar with. I'm just saying like the food itself was just a little bland. It was not the seasoning that we were expecting. <laughs> yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. In the most, you know, politically correct way that I can say that. I was like, okay, okay. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I get, I get where you're coming from. <laughs> Oh my goodness. Oh my. Okay. Yeah. Um so, you know, first time going out of the country was successful it sounds like. Yes. Did that give you the desire to want to go back to Budapest or go to more places outside of the states? Yeah, I definitely I want to take my family to Budapest, honestly. I think okay. that Budapest was a great like if you have never been to Europe or anywhere close to that area before, that was very chill. Like I felt like they knew, you know, like when you sometimes you go to certain communities and they're like, "Why are you here?" I didn't get that feeling at all. <laughs> yeah. You know, like it's like you know, who are you and what are you doing? You know, I even get that sometimes going to different cities in Idaho. Like, where are you from? You know, that type of thing. Um. So I felt like they knew that you know this is a tourist town. We're trying to attract more tourists, and so they made everything was really easy to get around. Even though, of course, you know, unfamiliar with streets, unfamiliar with you know different customs, it was easy to get around, ask questions, um, to get help if we needed it. And I would totally suggest, and I kind of want to bring my family um, to Budapest as their first European experience since mm-hmm. they haven't traveled. And then, yeah, I definitely want to put some more stamps in my passport because that was my first passport stamp. Yeah. Um, and, and go visit a couple more places and really just take my family. Um, there's this really cool, uh, you probably heard of it on Facebook, the Black Travel Movement. I mm-hmm. um, joined that Facebook group because I wanted to see more examples of people traveling in the different places they were and I think I want to do that more for leisure mm, yeah. as well not just you know going for conferences but definitely going for conferences because that's the best way to get paid you know to go to all these places right. <laughs> but um yeah definitely take bring friends and family and and see the rest of the world um I, I have said for a while and I haven't really flushed this out but I think we as young Americans need to be more comfortable with the idea of going outside our country because mm. especially the black American experience right we don't have that process a majority of us I would say don't have the process of a having a passport and then b applying for visas or trying to get into other countries and visit whereas I feel like the other the other parts of the black diaspora and experiences they have that knowledge and we Mm -hmm. as black americans are really lacking in that mobility the you know getting around the world and i think that's something that we could be more comfortable with not just from um hey you should be comfortable with traveling around the world but also from an idea of how can you work and develop products and develop businesses in a global society if you never left the country Hmm. and i think that's something that we as black young americans should be getting better at okay and you've already um shared lots of pieces of wisdom since we've been (laughs) talking but do you have any other pieces of advice in regards to traveling internationally or traveling to budapest specifically anything that you haven't shared that you'd like to yeah, um, always let everybody know in your network that, that you're going mm-hmm. because they might have tips for you or they might have information for you. So, for example, if I hadn't let Dr. Samani know in the first place that I was going, she might 
I might not have had the opportunity to ask her to come because yeah. we were in the middle of a conversation about me going and that's when it came up. I was like, would you actually be willing to come with me? And she had been mentioning before that if I traveled, she would be, she would like to come with me, you know, things like that. So let people know that you're going or that you're interested in going mm-hmm. because you never know what kind of expectations I might set for them or they might set for you. Like, you know, um, if you ever go, I'll send you some money or if you ever go, I'll make sure that you can meet up with my relatives that are in this city you know there are different ways that people can help you but they will but that would never come up if you didn't tell them so be open about what you're doing um as you know sometimes there of course there are times when it's just you know not safe or appropriate but maybe push the boundaries a little bit to see what what could happen um in a safe way and and be open to people seeing that part of you as in i've never been here i don't know anyone here um i know that i chose to go to this place and i'm choosing to do that on a leap of faith right that the conference is gonna be there the people who said they're gonna be there are gonna be there so that's that might put you in a vulnerable spot but i would encourage everyone listening to this to just be open about it and to help let your network help you by telling them how they can help you um and and being open about it yeah that's such a good point you know, being um i guess vulnerable like you said enough to to allow people to to help you or assist you if they can mm-hmm. yeah 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 and just know where you're going right um okay well this has been great I really have appreciated, like, I've enjoyed this so much, getting to talk to you you. today. Awesome. Um, I hope you've enjoyed it as well. Yes, of course. (laughs) Um, The last question that I usually ask everybody is, where can people keep up with you or reach you online if you'd like them to do so? Yeah, you can um, read my blog at hellocami.com. So, hello, C-A-M-I.com. And uh, you can also connect with me on LinkedIn. Camille Eddy, and then also follow me on Twitter at I am Camille Eddy. Okay, wonderful. Once again, thank you so much. I thank you. again, I'm so impressed by what thank you've you. been able to do, <laughs> and yeah. I uh, wish you nothing but the best and finishing up your last year and moving on yes. to whatever the next Holla. adventure is going to be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I hope all of that turns out splendidly for you. Um, yeah, yeah, thank you for uh, allowing me to tell my experience um, and about the ideas that I have and, and, and for your excellent interview questions. Thank oh, you. thank you. <laughs> yeah. That means a lot. Thank you. Yeah, of course. Um, <laughs> okay, well, I'll let you enjoy the rest of your Saturday. I will uh, talk to you. Well, I'll, you'll hear from me. We will keep in touch, yes. okay? Yes. Nice to meet you, Danielle. Thank nice you. to meet you too. Bye, Camille. Bye. <laughs> All right, y'all. There it is. Thanks to Camille for being such a wonderful guest, and I hope you like how this all turned out. For the rest of you listening, don't forget to follow this podcast at Young Gifted and Abroad on Instagram and Facebook, and don't forget to check out guest profiles and resource lists on younggiftedandabroad.com. Also, if you enjoy what you've been hearing so far, then please continue listening to Young, Gifted, and Abroad on pretty much all major platforms. And while you're at it, leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher. And as always, if you have questions or comments to share, or if you yourself would like to be a guest on the show, then feel free to email me at younggiftedandabroad at gmail.com. 
So for the next episode, in two weeks, the guest is going to be someone who, uh, between graduating from high school and starting college, uh, she took a gap year in El Salvador. So you get to find out why she went there and what she was doing there in two weeks. But until then, thank you so much for listening and talk to you next time. Can't you hear a bitter black?